Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. So I feel like I'm coming down today. Oh. I know. All the fun is over. Right. It's always hard after a big event is over. Uh, and this event we're talking about this weekend was the awesome Milwaukee Paranormal Conference 2016. In October, we always look forward to, but we were particularly looking forward to this weekend in October. So Yes. Now it's behind us, but it was so fun. It was really fun. I get to see a lot of cool people. So my sister, Allison Jorland from Milwaukee Ghosts. Our, wait, can I say our very own? Our very own Allison Joyland from Milwaukee Ghost. Because, <laughs> you know, she, she often co-hosts with us. She does. And uh, she was awarded the Paranormal Researcher of the Year. The Wisconsin Paranormal Yay. Researcher of the Year. Very proud of her. Yes, congratulate Allison on a, a job well done and well-deserved. Congratulations, Allison. Well-deserved for that. So that was, that was a fun yes. thing. Her presentation at noon on Saturday was kind of like the, the first, like the kickoff of the whole thing. And she did Milwaukee for it. Some weird stuff that happened in Milwaukee and some exorcisms and stuff. And that's when they presented it to her. Yeah. She was very involved in the conference as were you, Mike, you did a few panels and we got to do our interview of Katrina Weidman from uh, paranormal lockdown. Yeah. I, it was exceptional. And I thought Katrina was very delightful to talk to. She was a lot oh, of fun. She was awesome. Yeah. No, I, didn't, I didn't get to spend as much time with her as you did, Wendy. You were like her driver over the weekend. So you got to really hang out. <laughs> you got to hang out with Katrina. I provided the paranormal cabbie duty. So did any of that paranormal celebrity rub off on you? Well, yeah. I mean, didn't you notice? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I mean, she's a, a very interesting, cool person and down to earth. So it was easy to get along with her. And it was the, made the interview a lot easier too. Yeah. The fact that she's in a band. Yeah. And she's from Pennsylvania. And so we were talking about some of the places that Sunspot has played out there and she was familiar with those. So it was fun. Okay, cool. So it was fun hanging out with Katrina and doing that. And then we got to play on Saturday night at the Ravens Ball. Yes, at the Irish Cultural Center, which is a very cool old church building, downtown Milwaukee. That was great. We got to play some of our music and uh, songs that you guys hear on the podcast every single week. And yes, and we saw a ton of our other paranormal friends and we met lots of new people. So I'd like to give a quick shout out to everybody new who li- who's listening that just you know, maybe swung by and said hello to us at our booth that we just met. So hi. So if this is your first episode of See You on the Other Side and we met you at the Milwaukee Paranormal Conference this weekend, welcome. Yay, welcome. Thank you so much for listening to it with us and hanging out and sharing this experience. And we are uh, we're going to welcome you on board. And in fact, speaking of welcoming people on board, we have a new five-star review from iTunes. We do. Uh, Wendy, why don't you read it? I, I like the name of the guy. It's Marky Mountain. Now, what did he have to Marky say about Mountain. C on the other side? Okay. He says, he or she says, great podcast, five stars. Mm-hmm. This podcast is flat out fun. Mike and Wendy have great chemistry and they combine that with interesting topics, interesting points of view, and just the right amount of humor. They also create a new song every week that ties into the topic. Did I mention they are also in an awesome band out of Madison called Sunspot? Fans of Darkness Radio will enjoy this as well. Check it out. Oh, thank you, Marky Mountain. Thank you so much, Marky Mountain. And if you want us to read your review on the air, all you have to do is leave a review on iTunes on the See Other Side podcast uh, area, and we will read that for you on the air, especially if it's five stars. Trust me, we get to those first. That's right. So what was your other highlight from the convention, you think, this weekend, Wendy? One of your standout moments? Oh, gosh, there were so many. <laughs> it was, first of all, there were so many things packed into that weekend. Mm-hmm. So many good presenters and events. And so everything from the vendor room had a ton of different people in it, new people and old friends. And so that was fun. All kinds of neat books and artwork and that type of thing to look at. But also the presentations were interesting. I was very Excited about the UFO Roswell debate between Mark O'Connell and Don Schmidt, which turned out being pretty intense discussion. Yeah. 
Uh, I like that. And then just the fun of uh, the, the party Saturday night. And, you know, there was a Krampus parade in the middle of the day yesterday. So a bunch of Krampuses or Krampi, if you will, <laughs> came running through <laughs> the union. Um, I can't pick a favorite. I don't know. I liked everything. Oh, and I went to the film festival, too. So I got to see uh, The Hidden Truth movie okay. by our friends, Jay Pachachin and Scott Marcus. And then I also saw Gags the Clown. Yeah, how was Gags the Clown? It was good. It was really good. Okay. It was great. I would recommend it if you have a chance to see it. <laughs> About the, the killer clown terrorizing Green Bay. Yeah, I had to make sure and see that. So anyway, but like I was saying, there was just so much that it was never a dull moment. What was your favorite part, Mike? Or favorite parts? Well, I, I think my, my favorite thing was the, the great Roswell debate. And the reason I thought it was so good is because you get uh, two guys who are obviously well-versed in the subject matter. And they're people that we've had on the show. Uh, Roswell author Don Schmidt and uh, J. Allen Hynek biographer Mark O'Connell and Star Trek writer. And you get two guys who are really well-versed in the topic um, calling each other out on quotes and, and like facts and things. And so it was nice to see that elevated level of discussion. Also very civil. Uh, it was nice to see that level of discussion. And I think if, if people talked about ufology in that way all the time, the field would be much richer for it. I, so yeah, I, really, I agree. They brought their A game and I thought that was exciting and it was fun. And uh, what I love about that, sometimes, you know, these conferences, you really, it's really fun to talk to people and meet people and everything. But we deal in a, in a particular branch of the uh, quote unquote sciences that it's hard to prove anything. It's hard to do any of that stuff. And so a lot of times when you meet people in person and they tell you some kind of fantastic story while you want to believe them, sometimes these stories go beyond belief a little bit. So it was nice to bring in enough skepticism to be healthy, but not too much to ruin the fun. And that kind of thing, I think, elevates the entire field. And so that was an exciting thing for me. And I think we had a really great cross-section of believers and skeptics to make the whole thing uh, just a, it's not, it's not just a psychic fair. It's a paranormal convention. I thought that was great. Right. Very exciting. Yeah. So I, th- that was one of my favorite moments. Also, yesterday, I really enjoyed hearing stories about the Milwaukee Public Museum, like hearing all the ghost stories about the Milwaukee Public Museum at the, uh, the My Business is Haunted panel that Allison worked on. The Milwaukee Public Museum has a ton of good ghost stories. And to hear the people from the museum talking about it, well, that made it a little extra fun. So it made me think about being a kid and going through there and how I would love to have you know, done an overnight in a place like that and how that, it is haunted. Very cool. Mm-hmm. It was also fun hanging out with our friend Lisa, the ghost hostess from Madison, yes. who was Draculisa on Saturday <laughs> night. And I thought she had a really good shot at winning the costume contest, but unfortunately did she did too. not. But the costumes that were there were very impressive. So <laughs> it was fun hanging out with that group of costumed people. Yeah, there were, there were some great costumes on Saturday night. And that was a real p- pleasure uh, playing with Professor Pinkerton and his band and also the fine people from Quasimodo Theater in Milwaukee. And they did The Raven with the special guest voice of Mark Burchart from American Movie. If you guys have seen American Movie, Mark was one of the guests who presented on Saturday night by a reading of The Raven. And it was interesting to see that. Always a pleasure to see uh, Mark Burchart at out an event. Yeah. So we had a great time at the Milwaukee Paranormal Conference. So without further ado, though, we should bring on our guest for the week. And that is the very talented author, Erin Petty, who's joined us from the East Coast to talk about her brand new book, The Peculiar Haunting of Thelma B. and some of the paranormal influences behind that book. And it was really fun to talk to her because, you know, a lot of the episodes lately have been pretty dark, so it's nice to bring on like a young adult book author with that kind of optimistic, positive outlook on life. It really, that, that was an enjoyable, nice little change of pace for the week. All right. Well, let's take a listen to your interview. Coming to us from the Boston area today, we are pleased to be joined by children's book author, Aaron Petty. Aaron, how you doing? Great. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. No, we're glad to talk to you, especially anyone that's writing about things that are paranormal. And it's good, it's good to have a children's book author on uh, after the past couple of shows have been pretty dark. 
Okay. Yes, I will try to. I'll try to lighten the mood yeah, a little we, bit. Yeah, we, we talked the, about uh, serial killers a couple weeks ago, and like the clown scare last week, and so it's good to uh, it's good to keep it light every once in a while. Yeah, I live more inside like the middle of the Venn diagram that has like Stephen King on one side and Disney World on the other. Okay. So that's right. that's that's my happy place. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that that's cool. So, um, your your newest book is called The Peculiar Haunting of Thelma B. Yes, that's right. It's actually my first book. Too. Your first book. Okay, congratulations on your first book. Thank you so much. Let's hear a little bit just about you for a second to introduce yourself to our audience. So, Aaron, who are your favorite authors to read when you were a kid? So, I it's it's interesting. So, when I was a kid, I used to love um, the the Red Wall series by Brian Jackson. Um, uh, you know, The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and those kind of books. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I, I write for, for kids. But when I was in sixth grade, which is kind of like the, the target audience for my book is kind of like that middle school, tumultuous uh, adolescent time. And when I was that age, I actually just read pretty much exclusively Anne Rice novels. All right. um, it was just like something I was super duper into um, and I really devoured them. Uh, so. That, you know, because I have a daughter, I would probably give her a little side eye if she was reading Anne Rice in sixth grade. But, um, right. OK, so yeah. so let's let's see. So you're reading Anne Rice in sixth grade. So that's I mean, I went I went through my, you know, I read up to um, Queen of the Damned, I think, was the one. I. Yeah, I think I think that's where I, I left off as well. That was after the Vampire Lestat, right? Yeah, it was Vampire Lestat. Yeah. Right. So I, I went to the first three novels and I really enjoyed them. And then I, I forgot to catch up after that. But. So, you know, you're 12, 13 years old in sixth grade. Did you go goth or anything like that? Because that was the thing. It's like everybody read Anne Rice novels and then dye their hair black or like wear a, a gigantic cross around their neck or. <laughs> I didn't go that crazy. I was so I was extremely, extremely quiet when I was like 11 and, and 12 years old. And I think it was just like it just really like fed that alone time that, fit, you know, that kind of like adolescent feeling of isolation and, you know, really like loved kind of digging into the, the, the kind of creepy Gothic New Orleans vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was, it, it felt very adult to me, which was very appealing, of course, right. when you're 11 years old. Um, yeah. So I, uh, I just loved it. I never kind of went whole hog with the, with the giant crosses around my neck or anything, right. <laughs> but it definitely uh, kind of paved the way for, kind of a lifetime of enjoying the the spookier stuff. Now, did you see the, the you've seen the Tom Cruise interview with the vampire, right? Oh, of course. Right. Of course. Okay. <laughs> now, I, I, I was like 17 when that movie came out and I'd already read the book and everybody was like, oh man, how's Tom Cruise going to be? Like, what's he going to be as Lestat? And I thought he did a pretty good job. You know, I didn't think it was weird. I thought it was just the best thing I ever I seen. bet you did. <laughs> well, I, I thought Brad Pitt was probably the best thing sure. I had ever seen. But, um, oh my gosh, I just like, cause I started reading it right, right before the movies came out, I think. Cause mm-hmm. I, I think that with the timing meshed like, up like that. So and it was kind of amazing. Yeah. It was just like, it was a total gift. I, you know, I pulled the same thing with like the last, um, of the return of the King trilogy. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I read that book, like it, it, it coincided with the movie coming out so beautifully that like. Man, I just I dug into those movies pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure. Well, no, that that, uh, that was I was the same way. That big. I was a big Tolkien fan. I loved gothic stuff. I loved, uh, of course, all of the Anne Rice books and Vampire Lestat. And that it was a different way because obviously, Interview the Vampire it was one of the first books you ever read that the vampire is not necessarily a good guy, but obviously the protagonist. Oh yeah. And so uh, that's what made it kind of exciting for me. And I tell, I, hey, I love the movie. I even bought the soundtrack. That was the last Guns and. Like, I did too. Yeah, the re- the, <laughs> the, the real Guns and Roses. Sympathy for the devil. Yeah, that was the last song they'd ever recorded together. So that was funny. Oh, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, I yeah. thought I was. I thought I was pretty cool listening to Sympathy for the Devil. Uh, you know, at nice. eleven years old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nice. So, so th- you're into that kind of stuff when you're younger. That's some of the first like genre fiction you get into. Yeah, totally. And. Uh, you know, where did you go from there? What, how did you get on the path to becoming, you know, an author? I mean, a lot of people, everybody who's like a bookworm and loves to read, be like, oh man, I'd love to write sometime. But there's a big jump from going to, uh, you know, becoming a published author from just a big fan. 
So how did you make that move into writing professionally? Well, I mean, it, there's uh, just a gigantic gulf of time between middle school and being 35, sure. which is what I'm turning tomorrow. Tomorrow's oh, my birthday, actually. Hey, well, happy so early like, birthday to you. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, but, you know, it's uh, I, I was writing my whole life, kind of, since I was, you know, learning how to, you know, what middle vowel sounds meant. Um, I just, it, it's been kind of a through line. You know, I've been doing it throughout. Um and I did, I wrote a lot of plays in high school because I was really involved with the drama society. And that's the thing that made sense to do. And then in college, um, I took a lot of creative writing courses and I was writing a lot of short stories because that was the form that we used there. Was it like gothic fiction or was it any paranormal short stories and things? So I actually took a, oh my gosh, I can't believe that they offered this, but it was so good. Um, a gothic fiction class in high school in my junior my sophomore or junior year so did you did you grow up in the boston area i did i grew up in winthrop massachusetts which is like basically on top of the airport like it's like logan airport in winthrop massachusetts okay so you grew up in the area and your your high school was cool enough to offer a gothic fiction class i think that um we had one english teacher who was cool enough to kind of like muscle that into the curriculum for as an elective um, and it was awesome. And that was actually, if I'm thinking about it, uh, the first time that I wrote something scary and I just loved it. It was so, uh, I don't want to say easy, but I, I didn't have to hunt for things to be excited about writing that kind of a story. It was just like, you know, we, we had been reading you know, from Beowulf, you know, and then through, uh, Bram Stoker and like all the way through. And then he gave us, you know, the final project was to write this big, big for me at that time was 15 pages, but you know, it was big for me. Sure. And I, well, I live in the world like, of blogs. So 15 pages is <laughs> a novella. <laughs> Pretty much. Well, it, I mean, it, it felt like a big undertaking and I wrote that and I remember being so excited and so proud of my writing and I gave it to my mother and she read it and she was like horrified. And like, my mother is like proud of everything I ever do in my whole sure. life. And I'm like, Oh my God, is it terrible? And she's like, it's just, I, this is, this is really scary. <laughs> She's like, I don't, I don't like that. You think like, like, and I don't like that. These thoughts are you, in your head. Are you okay? Are you feeling depressed? Are you this? I'm like, no, it's a project and it's exciting. And, you know, it was, but it was really interesting. Cause I think that actually probably was the very first time I wrote down with the intention of writing something scary. And it was like wildly fulfilling to me and extremely troubling to my mother. Okay, good. Well, that's, <laughs> <laughs> Any, anytime you can scare mom and dad, it's a good sign. So what was some of the, uh, the inspiration behind that? I mean, a lot of times when people write for their first project or something big, they just take something that they've already kind of read and restructure it. Like I remember the first time I wanted to write a movie script, I was nine years old and I just kept on taking different variations of Star Wars and just like rewriting a script around Star Wars, which I mean, later you discover was it was just really a rewritten script of the, the Hidden Fortress. But when I was a kid, you know, you're less like, okay, just different variations. It's like I'm going to write a script and it's going to be awesome. And it's it was pretty much the <laughs> Star Wars with different character names. That's awesome. I I can't. I don't know if it was drive for anything. It was basically like one of <laughs> dealing with like. I'm an anxious person. And like, even in my car, my children's book, like I, some of the things that I are scary in there are just like fears that I have. Like I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of, you know, mirrors in a dark room. Uh, but like the, this particular story, I remember, cause it was before we're, uh, applying to colleges. And I had this like total nightmare about what living in a dorm would be like. And the story was about, um, like a girl who had a single, but it was supposed to be a double but it was because it was like haunted by the ghost of uh, an anatomy and physiology student who had committed suicide in the room and like the crazy things that happened to her because she was living in that room. And um, it was just based on like the idea of like, probably like all great horror. There's like a, a, a kernel of truth at the bottom of it. And the bottom of it was like, I am terrified to live with strangers in a dorm. What's the worst possible thing that could happen. And it was just kind of playing out that story. And it was, uh, it was very, it was very, it came to me very easily because I'm like, in, in some ways, like feeling like I'm about to head into a nightmare. So this is what, this is what it might be like. You know, that's pretty funny. Say that. Wasn't there a, um, 
There was an urban legend that went around that if your roommate, college, you know, your dorm roommate killed him or herself, that you would get a 4.0 automatically for the semester. Oh, God. That's so morbid. Yeah. And I think oh they God. even, I think like there was an even a, like an MTV film about somebody who was trying to get, who was trying to do better in college and was trying to get his roommate to kill himself. Oh, I can, I'll have to look that up for the show notes. Oh, man. That's brutal. Yeah. And I think it had, uh, Zach from Head of the Class was not Head of the Class. Who it's the Saved by the Bell was Mark Paul Gosselet was in it, <laughs> if I remember correctly. And this all came out like right when I, I was going to college. So, oh, I really want to see that. No, that's fantastic. But that's great that oh I mean, and, taking those real life fears, and there is a, a definitely an anxiety until you, I mean until you get to the dorm and realize it's you know it's a sleepover that lasts for months. That should have horrified your mother. I have to say, when I got to college, like. I was put in an old building at the end of the hallway in a double, and I didn't have a roommate. Oh, perfect. <laughs> it was like, is this real? Like, is this really happening? Um, and so that was kind of like, <laughs> you asked for a buddy. But um, eventually I got a roommate, and the nightmare got much worse because I had to deal with her boyfriend. I would have rather uh, dealt with a poltergeist than this girl's boyfriend. <laughs> right, or just... <laughs> <laughs> or just the fact of dealing with, you know, dealing with a college roommate that you never met before or anything. And so you were reading Anne Rice, obviously gothic fiction, something you enjoyed and something that you had uh, interested in and, and in your own work and, and learning from that and developing that. So did you ever have any, you know, did you ever play the Ouija board or do you guys have any kind of paranormal things that you went after when you were in high school? Because that's always part of it because everybody does at least a couple of things. It's so like, I honestly, if I had like, it, because I don't want to say like, I know so much more about paranormal stuff now because like, that's a really, it sounds like a really stupid thing to say, but like, <laughs> as you know, you kind of like read more and I'm like, watch like just a total like reality TV, ghost hunter, whatever junkie. I just watch anything that I can watch. And like the one thing they say like throughout is it's a terrible idea to use a Ouija board. And like, that's something that like my friends and I did like for fun, like in oh, high yeah. school and it was, and we got like some really creepy things that happened and it always made us feel afterwards like oh maybe we shouldn't have done that but like we kept doing it and i'm like really grateful that there's no like weird ghost attachments on any of my childhood right. friends but um yeah and and it's like oh those stupid oh my god they're so scary paranormal activity movies like absolutely not stupid they're brilliant they're totally brilliant sure. and they just like stick to my bones because it scares me so bad um but that scene where the pg board catches on fire in one of them and i was just thinking like you know what it was so i was so young and so dumb and i had no idea but um that's my superstition of course but i really man i wouldn't touch a ouija board now i tell you <laughs> okay well when you were talking about the dorm you made me think about when uh, i was in college uh a thousand years ago the first uh, semester we were all together, like everybody on the dorm floor during like Halloween got together and we had like nightly Ouija board sessions in like, like the den. And uh, we had just a whole bunch of weird things happen. And by the end of the, by the, by, oh ha by Halloween of that year, 1995, we had to develop this theory that we were talking to the, the spirit of someone who died in the 1950s when the dorm was being built and was in like, was pushed inside the cement uh, <laughs> while it was being built. And that the reason was is because he was on the track of this like German spy who still worked at the university, and like we had this like this entire oh. story developed based around these Ouija board conversations we had. But and some of that was pretty. There were some pretty good coincidences, like people knowing like middle names of people they shouldn't know who were operating the board, and like weird movements. And so whether it was just all in our heads or something, it. It really was something fun and, you know, everybody being 18 years old and, and getting together the first time everybody's on their own is scary enough, you know, as it is. Yeah. And then we're all sitting there and, the, and you know, and I thought the dorms would have more rules to tell you the truth. Like they didn't really, I mean, it was just, it was just like a free for, you're like, really? You know, they, they, uh, <laughs> like there was no rules and, you know, you kind of, and so it, it was scary enough as it is. And then we all get together in the den. And do this, like, tell each other scary stories and play with the Ouija board and find out this weird, his, you know, this imaginary weird history of the dorm we're living in. And so that you just made me think about that with that. So you're having those occult, uh, not necessarily experiences, but occult experimentation as a yeah, high schooler. That's okay. <laughs> right. 
And did you guys have any particularly good urban legends or anything like that where you grew up of places you could go out, like old house? Because you figure the East Coast and New England always has houses that are centuries old. Like here in Wisconsin, we're I mean, something's 100 years old. We're like, oh, man, that's really old. And on the East Coast, you're like, my, so old. <laughs> my, dog, my dog house is 100 years old. <laughs> yeah, it's so that probably so I went to Emerson College, um, which is like right inside Boston. And my dorm was reportedly haunted. I only had one experience where I was like, OK, that's crazy. And it's just like I was down the hall and like a ton of stuff fell out of my closet at a like a physically impossible angle. And like, of course, all the girls on my floor were like, the ghost is here. This kind of stuff. <laughs> but the um, the really, really haunted place at Emerson was uh, called Charlesgate. Um, and it was an old, old building that was converted to a dorm. And I actually, when I moved to New York after college, I was working with an editor at a magazine and she lived there and she had crazy stories about Charlesgate, like that she experienced herself, like going into uh, the bathroom and like she was an RA and there was a girl crying in the bathroom and it was just like, that question of like, okay, do I let, is she just having a moment? I let her have it out. Or like, does she really need some help? Sure. Um, and she's kind of trying to talk to the girl and just like the girl's just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. Um, and she finally is like, all right, I'm an RA. Like there might be something really happening here. So right. she like goes to open up the stall and there was no one in the stall. Like, Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. And it's like, and like, look, uh, I'm talking to this woman and like looking into her eyes and she's like, She's not a, you know, she's not par a paranormal, you know, storyteller. She's just like an right. editor at a woman's magazine. And like, she did not make this up. Like, <laughs> she was really, really, really terrified. Um, and then, but that building, like if you, I bet if we looked it up online, there's probably a ton of stuff because like everyone who, Charles Gate in Boston, uh, it's an Emerson, it was an Emerson College building at the end of its life. And I think it got knocked down and rebuilt. But in like the 90s, I think that was the last people or maybe in the late 80s the last people who lived there as students um you ask anyone who went to emerson in like the 80s and you say charles gate and they're like oh geez yeah <laughs> that's great but you know yeah. it's, it's funny you said it, it is always good to get regular people when they tell their ghost stories and because you know people who are into the paranormal or into into genre fiction even you know it's like okay we always expect all of us are going to have a story. But when you talk to somebody completely unrelated and they're just like, oh, yeah, well, let me, you know, let me tell you about the time that I had the psychic link with my brother. I'm like, what? You know, and, <laughs> and it, it's always nice to get that. It's always nice to hear the straights tell a, tell a story every once in a while. The straights, the yeah. norms. <laughs> right. You know, it's funny. You tell a story about that. That makes me think about, uh, wasn't, there's a crying girl in the bathroom in Harry Potter, isn't there? Yes, Moaning Myrtle. Moaning Myrtle. That's I, yeah. I haven't seen all the movies yet. Or I read the book. That was a little bit after I had already. I, I'd kind of aged out of Harry Potter. I spent most of my preteen years reading Doctor Who books back when it was not <laughs> back when Doctor Who was not cool at all. So by the time that Harry Potter became popular, I was like, oh, what is this? You know, young, young adult thing that all of a sudden is the is the largest thing in the universe. And then when yeah. I, I saw most of the movies, but anyway, I always felt bad for Moaning Myrtle. I was like, really? You're going to make a character that's just heartbroken forever? I know. And she's so bitter. <laughs> <laughs> right. And well, and she's obviously real and lives in the Charles Gate dorm. In, oh, uh, God, that was her. Oh, no. <laughs> so that's what I was thinking. <laughs> okay. So, well, that's great. Now, so you, are you start writing more short stories. Uh, after college, you write in short stories. Are you submitting them to places? Are you, just, are you doing articles at magazines? What, what, what are you doing as a writer right after college? So right after college, I went to uh, New York and I was so I've done um, improv comedy for my 20s, which are over now. But I was uh, I got uh, kind of a scholarship from Emerson to go down to New York and study improv. Um, and that was really fun. And it was kind of like the series of uh, internships and trying to figure out. And so it wasn't a big creative time. It was like kind of like scrambling for your Sure. income and for your life. Uh, but I worked at Bust Magazine as an intern and I got to write a little bit for them. And that was really cool. Um, it's a great, great magazine. Uh, and then I basically, it wasn't until I kind of settled a little bit and I uh, started writing comedy sketches that I started writing again. Uh, and then I didn't, and then that kind of like was very fulfilling because I was writing and 
these comedy sketches for these shows and doing that kind of thing. Uh, there's no horror involved, really. Um, well, just the, I mean, the horror of live theaters is its own kind <laughs> of scary thing in improv, and the horror of having to deal with all the egos and personalities and everything. And I mean, there's still yeah, plenty, it's, plenty it's, that's terrifying. There's right. So it's like the underpinning because it's interesting. Like when I finally, you know, I actually, you know kind of moved, like got married and moved farther away from the city. And it was just like a, a time where I wanted to, okay, I want to do something creative, but I can't be going out and doing shows every night. Like I'm just not built for it anymore. Um, and I was like, this is the time, like now I got to write my book. <clears throat> this is the perfect time to do it. So I thought about the things that I really love to read. And I like, am one who <clears throat> I love Harry Potter. I love young adult books. It's kind of, if, if, you know, take all the author stuff off the table. That's just what I go to because it's what I really love to read. Uh, so I started with the idea. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta agree with you about young adult books. And, and one nice thing about it is that there is a trend sometimes in two in in adult quote unquote adult genre fiction that it just goes dark for the sake. Of, and I like dark. You know, mm -hmm. I love dark. I'm the I, you know I grew up in the '90s. Dark's our thing. <laughs> but the, but the whole. I think I wrote this in a blog post about 10 years ago after I saw the Stephen King movie 1408. It has a, uh, it has a happy ending. The movie does. And I, I don't mean to, it's not that good of a movie, so I'm not spoiling it. I'm not, it's okay. But it's got like a happy ending. And I found myself for the first time being like, oh, thank God there's a happy ending. Because it should have been <laughs> like every other movie made before it dealing with the same kind of thing had like a dark downer ending because kind of you know it, it, it's been for so long that's kind of what we expect because we think happy endings are all you know bs and hollywood and stuff so it's kind of right. nice to see oh all right so sometimes maybe the good guys win after so much darkness and and so much of adult genre fiction i feel goes for that because that feels more quote unquote real than actually having something right. nice happen at the end well i think it's it's interesting because it has to kind of flip in children's, uh, you have to, it doesn't have to end happily, but you have to have a feeling of hope in the world. Um, and I think that, you know, as I grow older, I certainly understand that nothing is ever, most things, I won't say nothing, but very few things are ever all great or all bad. Right. And there's, there's a, there, everything's kind of braided together. So you know, in my, you know, I'm, this is the first of a couple of books for this arc and it ends, uh, you know, in a, in a good place, but I'm, you know, there's still some stuff that's a little sour that sits in your stomach a little weird. There's still some stuff that we need to resolve. And I think that that's actually, when I see that in adult literature, I see that in children's literature. I think that's the most honest way to end things one way or the other that like, there's even, you know, did you see Stranger Things? Oh yeah. And on Netflix. So, you know, I was like, I was so into that and I was like, and then like at the, not to spoil spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't watched the end of stranger. Right. Things. Just flip two minutes yeah. ahead. If you haven't seen the right. stranger things, just uh, hit, there's a little button on your <laughs> iPhone. Just hit that twice. And then you go ahead. I really would have hated to have it spoiled for me. So I don't, you know, <laughs> but like, so we're like, good, we're good at the end, but you know, you have that feeling of like, you know, he like shifts into the upside down again, like almost like if, is that PTSD? Is that real? Um, and then like the whole thing with, you know, leaving out waffles for 11, like, is, she, you know, this character we care about, is she stuck? Is she okay? Like we're, we're good, but we're not all good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think those kind of more complicated endings are more interesting to me than just like, and then everybody dies or like everyone lives happily ever after. You know? Right. There's a couple ways to go, right? There's the Hamlet way where just everybody, you know, ev spoilers for Hamlet, <laughs> everybody like in the whole room dies in Hamlet. You just totally ruined Hamlet for so many people. <laughs> I did. I did. It's like, what? You mean I'm going to spend like three hours and then everybody just dies? Yeah, that's how it goes. But it, it is nice to have that kind of, that bittersweet thing. Does, to me now, bittersweet feels more real than just too dark or too wrapped up nicely. And, and so, and I, I distracted you for a second to talk about, so you were looking at different topics when you're like, okay, I'm ready to write a book. You were looking at different topics that you wanted to write a book about. How did you choose paranormal? Yeah, well, I was thinking about like the, the heroes that I liked. It was like, it's almost, people are, people ask me like, um, why did you write a, a paranormal story or why did you write a story that has, you know, these spooky elements in it? And like, I don't think, I don't ever remember making that choice. Like I made a choice to 
write a story with an 11 year old protagonist. I made a choice for this to be a children's book, but like the, the adventure that she went on, it just seems like if I'm going to write from a place that about things that excite me, like those are the kind of stories that excite me. Like, like Anne Rice laid the groundwork a long time ago. And it's like, if I'm just going to write things that feel fun and feel honest, they're going to have to do with, uh, mysteries and otherworldly things because that's kind of just like what is inside of me to write you know okay so you get there and you start working on it and the peculiar haunting so you decided on a ghost story so you're like okay we know i know you know there's vampires out there you know there's wizards out there (laughs) you're like okay let's go with ghosts and (laughs) no the name thelma you know that name is obviously going to be written several thousand times in your books so how did you come upon that name? Like that, that's a, an interesting one to, to pick. It's actually, um, it's my grandmother's name. Okay. And I have always loved the name and always kind of secretly known that I don't think I'll give my daughter that name Okay, fair <laughs> because enough. it's, it's a little old fashioned sounding. Um, so this was just in the very beginning when I was just kind of like a character name, it just feels like a big deal. And like this, once I kind of, stumbled upon that name Thelma B. I just, it felt very correct to me. It felt very dynamic. Um, and she it, herself, she's a character who, uh, it's, she's totally just unimpressed with like the normal anxieties of middle school girls. Like she doesn't care what her genes look like or what her hair looks like. She does, she's a scientist. She's driven. She cares about her family and friends and her experiments and like, that's it. So like, to me, um, she's not like a, you know, a Jessica necessarily. Nothing wrong with Jessicas, but like it just the name being kind of old fashioned and kind of being a little bit different uh, felt authentic to who she was as a person. Okay, so she, I mean, she just doesn't have time for a lot of middle school crap. Yeah, she's, she's like, got no time for it at all. She's like Daria. <laughs> She, but she's enthusiastic, like she's like on fire. She's enthusiastic about like so many things, you know, she's, she thinks things are awesome. She thinks, uh, she has a, so she has a friend who is in the local paranormal society. And at at the beginning of the book, she's not in there, but she, man, she thinks that's awesome that he loves that. And she has these, uh, experiments that she's like very into that, like have very little efficacy, but she's like going after it. And she has a best friend who like helps her try to build like a Viking longship in their local pond. You know what I mean? She's like super excited about things. She just doesn't have time for people like making fun of superficial crap. It just, it's not like, and it, it doesn't bother her. And I think it's, you know, a counterpoint to me. Cause you know, I was telling like, I didn't speak in 11th grade cause I was so afraid of what my bangs looked like right. <laughs> um, or speak in sixth grade rather. Uh, so it was kind of like extremely, um, what do I want to say? Like liberating to write this character who is just like, just march into her own beat. And that was going to be it. <laughs> okay. So, so there's Thelma, the, the main character. She's 11 years old. Is she a new England girl like you or where is she living? Yeah. So she's the, the whole, um, the kind of town that she lives in is fictional, but it's based on a real town. Uh, it's called Riverfish, Massachusetts, and it's based on, I was living in Maynard, Massachusetts when I started writing it. And Maynard is this very, uh, I think it's a very quirky little mill town, and it's got a river that runs through it, and an old clock tower, and a bunch of fun little independent stores, and like they have like Maynard Fest, and they have all these like little festivals, and this and that. And I just loved this uh this tiny little town that was like not an affluent town, but like had a great community um, and had all different kinds of people. And that was what her, her town is based on. And I kind of upped the quirk factor a little bit for the book. So it's kind of, it's kind of like a a stars hollow meets Maynard, Massachusetts uh, mashup. Um, But it's, it really, it plays a big role in the, in the book, just uh, the whole community and the whole weird little town that she lives in. And it's called Riverfish. Yes. Okay. Why'd you pick that particular name? Well, I actually was living um, in a house that was like actually like right on the river. So like you went out into the backyard and the Assabet River ran through. And I, you know, I'm from like Boston. I've never seen like a 
a muskrat in my life. Uh, And then all of a sudden I was living here and it was like, oh my God, there's wildlife here and there's this river. And like my husband and I would like sit out by the fire pit and just, I was so like mind blown, which is really silly. I understand that, but like I'm from the city. Like I was mind blown by the fact that there was a river in front of me and there were animals on the river and it was like real. Uh, So I kind of, that was kind of a big inspiration for the, the, the spirit of the town. So the, that, that was, a lot of a lot of the imagery and the geography around where she lives is based directly on, you know, Maynard, Massachusetts, Concord, and Lincoln, Massachusetts, because that's the area that I was living in at the time. Okay. Now we uh, you were talking about the uh, paranormal society that's in Riverfish, Massachusetts. Was there any paranormal society in Maynard? Not that I know of. Okay. <laughs> I should have probably done that research, but uh, I kind of it's there there fantastic and they have so much heart my characters but they are true amateurs like really just trying to you know put two things together and they like they get in way over their head with the adventure that happens uh but so if there is an actual maynard massachusetts paranormal society this is i'm sure they're much more professional okay and (laughs) than the folks that i wrote about in my book well what's a quick summation of the book to let people know because you know you know it's going to be it's going to have something to do with ghosts because it's peculiar haunting. You know that Thelma's yeah. going to be interesting because she's a little girl that's full of life. You know that she's got a buddy. What's, what's the friend's name in the Paranormal Society? So her best friend is named Alexander, but her friend in the Paranormal Society is named Eugene. And he also uh, runs the local cafe, the coffee shop. So he's like, he's kind of the conduit between Thelma and her middle school world and then these guys that are interested in exploring other things. Okay. So she hangs out with this, the old dude from the cafe. <laughs> well, he's like, he's like 19, but yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Good. Then what happens that gets her, I mean, without spoiling it for anybody, but if just no, a, no, a taste. Cool. So, so what happens that gets her haunted? So she is, uh, her, her mom is away a lot of the time. She's, uh, she dab, her mom dabbles in cryptozoology. She's an explorer. It's kind of, she's, she's this very, she's this woman that Thelma really looks up to, but she's gone a lot of the time. And her dad uh, owns an antique shop. And uh, one day uh, this old lady walks into the antique shop and she has a, a very, like an old, weird looking jewelry box. And she's, very interested in selling it to Thelma's dad as fast as possible. Um, and it just seems weird to Thelma, but you know, the interaction happens. Uh, and then there, the store is in possession of this jewelry box. Um, and then that night her house, uh, is visited by something otherworldly and her father is taken away by something otherworldly. So she has to figure out what all these missing pieces are and how to essentially to, to get her dad back, like where is he and how to get him back. And the uh, Paranormal Society helps out with that. Her, her best friend is like her best friend is an actual genius. So he okay. uh, he's very helpful in that. Um, and then as the, the mystery kind of grows deeper and you're getting into what's going on, she learns things about her family history that she didn't know and things about her bloodline and the women in her family and it kind of becomes this is a part of a much much bigger story that she's a part of uh so that's with trying to give without spoilers that's kind of all right the, the deal all right that's fun so you have elements of like a haunted object mm-hmm. so you know of that something comes with it and then yes. um you know in massachusetts everybody's always going to rush to some kind of witchcraft business um, yes, <laughs> that, that's all. I mean, that's everybody's it's first thing. You know, we've talked about Salem before on this, especially when we had like Satanic Thanksgiving and stuff like that to talk about on the podcast. You know, and that's something I'm interested in uh, asking for somebody that did grow up in Massachusetts. They talk about it in class or anything where they're just like, well, you know, there's these people in this part of the state that went crazy for a little while, you know, in the 17th century. Yeah, it's um, it's really interesting because they do, they, they teach it the way I think, you know, it's, it should be taught as like this awful thing that happened to this, uh, 
to this group of people. You know, we did the crucible in, in high school and had, you know, units kind of like supporting that and talking about um, how that relates to McCarthyism. You know, they, they don't they don't sugarcoat it. I think if anything, in Massachusetts, they probably drive home the inhumanity of it uh, even more than anywhere else because it's in our backyard and we right. got to own it, you know. But the flip side of that is like this crazy industry in Salem, um, which is actually like, there's so much history there. And I love going to Salem and because there's so much to see and there's so much history and there's so much cool stuff. Um, and it's just like this fine line about like, you know, respecting what happened and respecting the tragedy and the dead. Uh, and, and so like- But also trying to make a little money off it. But then, like, yeah, you've got like these these industries that are like making bank off of it, and you know, not not it's not all like you know, this is the witch trials, and you know, buy it like a witch doll. But like, they've got like haunted houses and all this kind of like everybody comes there, uh, and it's so fun. And then you walk through the graveyard, and you're like, oh god, I feel terrible about this. You know what I mean? Right. It's these like people it's really kind of like a a, a double edged sword. But like, I worked at. Um, the House of Seven Gables in uh, college one summer. And it's like, that's Nathaniel Hawthorne's property. And it's an amazing historical house. And I think it's haunted, but it's not a haunted house or anything. Right. Um, you know, there's, there's in this like one square mile, it's just jammed packed with like great historical resources. Um, and also like crazy exploitive, you know, sure. uh, stuff. So, it's all kind of mi- mixed up together. When you worked at Nathaniel Hawthorne's estate or whatever at the House of Seven Gables, mm-hmm. did you ever see anything weird? Did was there somebody? I mean, nobody was walking around looking like a pilgrim or anything like that. <laughs> we well, we all had to dress up in Edwardian costumes. I'll okay, of course. <laughs> Which I'm completely down for. Uh, but you know, the only really creepy thing that happened: my grandmother, my other grandmother, who's named Peggy, um, she's friends with a psychic medium. So they came to take my tour and um, afterwards the psychic medium was just like telling me about, you know, the little girl in the attic who really likes me and like, you know, you shouldn't feel threatened in this house because the the, chil- the, the children, you know, really liked listening to you and this and that. And I'm like, oh, my God, because she's talking about kids. She's talking about dead kids. Right. Um, and it's like, OK, cool. I'm glad that I don't have to feel threatened, but like I might have been able to get through the summer easier if I didn't think that there were, you know, ghost children. Right. There's a little girl in the attic watching tour. you go to work. Yeah. So, so you, <laughs> gave, like, you gave the tour of the house. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's fun. Oh, it was so fun. It was like, if it paid any money at all, I would just, that, that would be my job, like, for the rest of my life. I just love it. So Nathaniel Hawthorne, however, though, like, he wrote the Scarlet Letter because his ancestors were involved in the Salem witch trials. Isn't that right? Yes, I believe uh, it was Judge Haythorn because he changed somewhere along the line. They changed the pronunciation of the name because they wanted to distance themselves from him. But he was one of like the terrible judges in the in the trials. Okay, and and that you know that's that's an interesting thing because I mean once again like his we still read Nathaniel Hawthorne because of the Scarlet Letter, and we wouldn't be reading Nathaniel Hawthorne if his you know distant relative wasn't that one of the horrible judges. You know, and then, you know, we wouldn't be interested in it if we didn't have that macabre sense of like, okay, well, we want to know about scary things. We know, want to know about the paranormal. And when, when you talked about the things that you wanted to write about, I mean, you, you went to the paranormal thing. And why do you think that middle schoolers, kids, or, you know, people who are pretty much middle schoolers still in, in their head, like me, still <laughs> love... You know, that the paranormal is something that we just can't get, a, you know, escape. Like if, if I have a chance to look at the, at the bookstore, I'll look at, you know, I read that new Donna Tartt book last year or two years ago. It's like, oh, it's a Pulitzer Prize. It's brilliant. I'm like, that's great. I would rather read, and I read it, but I'd rather read some fantasy or some, you know, I'd rather read about vampire than read about the goldfinch. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. Me too. Um, I think that, I think it's different for different people, but I will say, like, I will say that, like, I think that there are, readers like you and like me probably who like decided pretty early on that this was fun and this is what they like to read about. And like, we're life, we're lifelong, we're in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I think that for a middle grade audience for that, like 
you know, fifth grade, fourth, even fourth and fifth grade and, and working through some things until eighth grade. I think that scary stories are particularly interesting for a lot of kids because that intersection of childhood and adulthood is this crazy place where you still have the suspension of disbelief um, that, you know, is really beautiful and that creativity that comes along with childhood, but you're learning terrible things about the world and the reality of the world every single day. And it's kind of this crazy, crazy mind space of being a child and being adult at the same time. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's a frightening intersection. And I think that scary stories are a really healthy way to experience the unknown and, 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 and explore scary feelings while you're still kind of, uh, having a safe experience of reading a book. So I think that for, for some kids, it, it can be an important thing to explore. You know, and that, I think that's a great point. You know, when you, when you talk about uh, those scary, because when you're 11 years old, you're, hey, I remember in sixth grade, people still having the discussion about Santa Claus. You know, mm-hmm. like, okay, so what do you, I mean, like, what do you guys think, man? Santa Claus, right? Like he, he does bring stuff every single year. So if he wasn't real, why is there stuff under the tree? And somebody's like, that's a really good point, man. Like, if he wasn't real, we wouldn't be getting toys. And I was like, hey, I think it's a more complicated discussion than this, gentlemen. <laughs> uh, let's peel back some layers, boys. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I mean, it's like, there's that. And then there, you know, and especially, I think even more so than when you and I are 11, like, it's like kids grow, ha- are forced to grow up so quickly now. So 11 years old, you can be having that conversation about Santa Claus at 9 a.m. and then at 2 p.m. you can be dealing with something terrible that happened in your school or your community. You know what I mean? Or it's like, or just like you happen to see the news and it's like what it is. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just like there's there's so much cognitive dissonance involved with that being like, and then like the resentment of being like, well, why did you tell me everything was fine for so long if it's not? You know? They leave the TV on uh, to one of the cable news channels for, you know, a couple of hours. At least I remember growing up, you'd have the news on for a half an hour and then the local news and growing up in Milwaukee, every, somebody got killed every day. Um, <laughs> and so there'd be that, but at least it was over at the end of it. Right. It was over at the end of it. And so then you would just go back and then you'd watch. Then it'd be like, okay, well, then all in the family or Barney Miller's on after the news. And that's, that's like, we laugh then. If, you, if they leave it on the cable news channels, it never stops. It never stops. And, you know, it, and maybe, it, maybe it's even more so with younger kids. But, like, there's research to say that, like, when you've got a kid, like, my daughter's three and a half. If she were to see something really terrible on television and then saw it rebroadcast on the news, she has no... Uh, nothing inside of her brain that tells her this is a rebroadcast. She thinks it's happening again. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. so like we were, I mean, this is like, like we weren't going to get dark. This is like super dark, but like when she was eight years, we were were talking about happy (laughs) endings before we can go back. But when she was eight weeks old, uh, we were at the uh, Boston marathon. We were at like a block away from the finish line when the bombing happened Mm. and she was only eight weeks old. uh, But we were also with my two year old nephew And like, we had to like hurry up and get back to a hotel room. And they were just like, we obviously wanted to watch the TV because we're like, what the hell's going on? Um, But it was like, guys, like he doesn't know, like you gotta, he thinks this is happening again and again and again. Like it just like, we have to like ixnay on the live coverage, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's like, it's a terrifying, (laughs) this is like, yeah, your, your, your children's author coming on. It's a terrifying world and everything. (laughs) We have to, you know, figure it out. It is, but Thelma at least finds the good parts of it. She does. She does. She really does. <laughs> and so uh, now where can people pick up the peculiar haunting of Thelma B? Sure. So it's, you know, it's, it's in, I hope, I hope it's in your indie bookstore down the street from your house. And that's the best place to give money to. So if it's there, that's a great place, but it's also, you know, Barnes and Noble and Amazon and all that good stuff too. Okay. And so we've got uh, Thelma, Alexander, and the dude from the cafe, What's his name? <laughs> Eugene. Eugene. That's right. Eugene. Eugene. <laughs> and then the case of Thelma's disappearing father from the haunted jewelry box that she brings back. Now, when you were doing the research for this and working on the book, was there any particular like legends or stories that you kind of borrowed from that you were like, oh my God, I remember hearing this legend or hearing this story and I want to integrate this into my book? 
Sure. So the biggest piece of it, and this is kind of like something that only starts to play in towards the end of the story, but um, there is in Norse mythology, there's uh, this concept of uh, Desir. And it's, you know, it's this woman uh, spirit or goddess that is ex- just extraordinarily powerful and takes can take different forms. So I really was, that kind of is... No, it, it informs the kind of the the big picture stuff that happens at the end of the book. Uh, but there's a great um, since you're in the blogging world, you should totally look this guy up. Okay. Uh, NewEnglandFolklore.com is this great website that I've been like just checking like every week for years and years, just because it's awesome. And it's these little he the guy there. Um, you know, every week or so, he just has these little bite size. Uh, pieces of history or folklore that are from around the region and um it was it was always kind of fun to kind of check out there he had one um blog entry about a ghost and i can't remember where it was specifically i think Mm -hmm. it might have been connecticut but it was it was like a talkative ghost like it wasn't like even scaring the people around it was just like they needed to get rid of it because like it wouldn't stop chatting. And that was something that, that I thought was really funny. And like, it was in a, it was in a first draft of the book. I think that kind of subplot got trimmed down a little bit, but um, there's just so much, like the more you just kind of read and like, I have like the weird Massachusetts book and all those like old uh, new England folklore books, but there's just such a rich history of, you know, especially with all the, the witch and, you know, well, of course, puritanical stuff. Um, there's so much history and so many like quirky, weird little stories um, that people use to justify things going wrong with their crops. Say, you know what I mean? Uh, that it's kind of like a constant form of inspiration, just kind of layering up all the uh, the folklore and paranormal ideas. Well, and I'm a big fan of Jeff Belanger, who has like the hauntings of New England. And stuff, oh, and, he, cool. and he's got a little like one of the PBS shows about the hauntings of New England, and he writes true ghost story books that are children friendly. Oh, fun! I could look that up. Yeah, Jeff Belanger, and it's interesting that you talk about that certain like spirit of the woods, kind of from Norse mythology, because that's that that feminine spirit seems to occur in, in several different kinds of mythologies. Like in Russia, they have Baba Yaga. Mm-hmm. You know, the crazy witch. And so many legends start with, well, the witch that lived in the woods. Yeah. You know, and, and so I think that's, a, that's, that's one of the fun ones, to, like the, the witch living in the woods. Uh, I mean, even, well, obviously the Blair Witch, which now we have a new Blair Witch, which I haven't seen yet, but I'm going to have to go I see. haven't seen it either. Oh, I'm too scared. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember, you know, when the movie came out, you know, everybody wanted to see, because I, 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 I go to movie news websites a lot because I'm a nerd. And on the movie news website, it would be like, hey, these people did find this, this weird videotape. And so they, these weird videotapes of Blair Witch were like left at different places as part of the viral marketing campaign before, you know, you could buy a viral marketing campaign just down the street, you know, at the local, <laughs> at the local ad agency and before it was a thing. So that was, you know, that was one of the fun things. And that idea of the, there is some kind of, and it's, it's usually a feminine spirit, a feminine power in the forest and and i don't know why it's maybe the association with mother earth kind of gaia kind of thing the feminine energy that comes from the earth and uh that's a fun thing it is it's it's really fun to play with and then kind of in the second book which i'm i've done the first draft it still needs a lot of editing but like the we really kind of delve into the intersection between like what and and you know I created a mythology, so it's you know I'm sure. not it's it's I'm I'm borrowing from different people, but well, like you got to be able to put up a whole Thelma B encyclopedia <laughs> afterwards, and oh. and you're thinking about the spinoffs already, of course. I'm with you, like, <laughs> like the like the graphic novel Little Adventures of you know oh, that would be cool. of Eugene's Paranormal Society, you know their first their <laughs> their first adventure when Eugene was just working at the cafe and didn't own it. <laughs> You know, they actually, just as like a, a side note, but um, Mighty Media, who's my publisher, they created, uh, so it, it, the Paranormal Society is called uh, the Riverfish Valley Paranormal Society or RVPS, and the publisher created rvparanormal.org. So like, it's a site that kids can go on and like, put on their firsthand accounts or their captured evidence. So we're really trying to make it kind of like interactive and fun. Of course, the stuff that's on there now is like, 
you know, I was in the woods and I saw a flashlight and I just like took a video of it for a second, but uh, just trying to, trying to make it more fun like that. But sure. yeah, it's, it's cool. But you know, and I was going to say like in the second book, um, it really actually does tie in not directly with the Salem witch trials, but um, with the kind of witch hysteria of, uh, of times past in new England and how that may or may not be rooted in fact and, you know, fact in my world, you know, inside the mythology. But uh, it's been really, a really cool thing to do some historical research and try to pair it up with my mythology and what's actually going to happen in my book. So that's been a really fun part of it. Fantastic. Well, I got to thank you for joining us today, Erin. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. I'd like to heartily recommend anybody looking for fun Christmas gifts for your weird kid. And if you're listening to this show, chances are you've got a kid who would appreciate this kind of story. Or if you're just into young adult fiction and stuff, and I want to see what looks like to be uh, an entry point into a very cool literary world, make sure you check out The Peculiar Haunting of Thelma B. We're going to have a link where you can pick that up in the show notes and make sure that you look for more stuff from author Aaron Petty. Aaron, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Mike. This is so much fun. All right, then. Erin Petty, nice lady, cool author. Make sure you check out her book, The Peculiar Haunting of Thelma B. Uh, what I thought was fun talking to her about was like just how, uh, you know, when you're getting junior high school and you start getting into this stuff, and we talked about reading the Anne Rice vampire books for the first time. It's just Oh, at the film festival, there was a documentary about scary stories to tell in the dark. Okay, yeah. How was the movie? It was good. Actually, it was a pre- I think it was a preview of a documentary that's going to be it was just like a shorter preview of it. I but see. It was pretty cool. And it talked about how many adults now had been influenced by this book and the different stories within it. Mm-hmm. And also people who are adults now reading the scary stories to their kids. And it was just it was pretty interesting. Oh. Got me thinking about the young adult section and the some of the books that we read as kids. Oh, that sounds like fun. That sounds like fun. <laughs> so it was cool. Well, yeah, well, I mean. The young adult section, and really that is where a lot of us do get into this kind of stuff for the first time, because we like paranormal stories um, really are, you know, the, the, that's the gateway to probably looking for ghosts, right. like ghost hunting and investigations and things like that. I mean, the reason that we're into it is because some kind of stories affected us that way. So I think uh, maybe Aaron Petty's story about Thelma B will affect you guys out there to so make sure to check it out. And thanks, Aaron, for joining us on this one. Thanks, Aaron. You know, and the song for this week, thinking about vampires and the vampire Lestat and interview the vampire and things like that, made me think that we should include a song about psychic vampires. Ooh. Yeah. So uh, this particular track, Sunspot track, is called Sweet Relief. And part of it is how, well, how a psychic vampire can really drain you. So here it is, Sunspot with Sweet Relief. Just a moment's 
for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. And it's that time. That's right. We can't forget to thank our Patreon community for making all this stuff possible. If you guys like the podcast and are having fun listening to it, please check it out at othersidepodcast.com slash donate. Yes, and we'd like to send a special shout out to our friend Ned, the Patreon supporter at a level where he gets a little special shout every week. So thanks again, Ned, and thanks everyone. Thank you for listening, and we will catch you next week. Bye. There we go.